Kia ora, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific or Koroi Hawkins talking more. Coming up. He said that basically the Pacific has the moral imperative when it comes to talking about climate change. Call for strong policies and commitments as the Ocean Conference gets underway in Palau. Any excuse around ignorance at this point is, is just arrogance. We live in a time where there is multiple things that you can access to upskill yourself. New Zealand rugby is urged to do better by Māori and Pacifica female rugby players. It's heading in the right direction to be able to welcome New Zealand travellers and international travellers. And new tourism authorities preparing for border reopenings. Strong ocean policies and commitments are what advocates would like to see come out of the Our Ocean Conference, which opened this morning in Palau. It is the first time the international meeting, which is being co-hosted by Palau and the United States, is being held in the Pacific with more than 500 delegates from 80 countries taking part. In Palau for RNZ Pacific is our manager, Moira Tula-Patela. Kia ora, Moira. Let's start with the opening of the conference. How did that all go down? It's, it's quite an eye-opener just in terms of how heavy the security is here. Um, a lot of the delegates came in a little bit late, so it started a little bit later than what it was supposed to be, but the opening was um, really amazing. It was a conch shell. That's what the first end, which is quite eerie, and this um, quite big um, gymnasium, which has been decked out with a really amazing um, screen which shows all the beautiful reefs around Palau and the ocean. You kind of feel almost like you're in, in an aquarium. So the colour is quite amazing. And there was um, a legend told about Palau's relationship with the ocean. And then there was some traditional singing. And after that, the two main speakers, obviously, because the conference has been co-hosted by Palau and the US, started. It was with uh, Surunga Whips. This is the uh, Palau president, and then after that, the special U.S. envoy on climate, John Kerry. Going to those two two leaders, what what did Surengo Whips Jr. have to say? Yeah, he talked a little bit about both. Actually, were very passionate about the importance of doing something now to protect the ocean. Uh, you know, President Whips said the ocean is our lifeline; it is our home. It's what makes us who we are. So, and he talked about, you know, friends who are not dealing with a climate crisis, we are also encountering a humanitarian crisis. He also mentioned one challenges too that Palau is facing, obviously, is not only the climate change crisis in, in, the, in, in the region, but also COVID-19 has posed a real issue in terms of revenue for the country. So, you know, as you know, there has been um, there's a bill before the house here in the in Palau about whether they could look at opening part of the huge um, marine sanctuary here in Palau. So that's up for debate. There was also a protest off site as well about that. So those are the conversations. Um, there were chats about also, um, you know, trying the balance between protection and production. And John Kerry, did he make any um, strong statements from the U.S. point of view? Yeah, he, he definitely did. He said this was actually the place um, it was really important to hold this here in Palau. He said that basically the Pacific has the moral imperative when it comes to talking about climate change and that it was good to see people from outside of the Pacific who comment on climate change but have not actually seen it at the 
you know, on the ground. So that's one thing he said, you know, he said we gather here in the Pacific at the front lines of climate change. So that was obviously what he was um, talking about. Um, he was really pleased that it wasn't Palau. Obviously, it's been delayed a couple of times, so that was a lot of challenges as well, and COVID has made it really difficult. But he was really pleased. Um, there were also lots of conversations. He mentioned the latest IPCC report and, you know, put a challenge out to the countries who are high emitters to actually look at, you know, they, they need to work together to be able to reduce that. You know, he said time is running out. It's so important that we're doing this now. Now, the conference over two days. Tell, tell us a bit about the programme. What, what kind of things are being talked about or scheduled for the two days? Well, there's some really interesting topics here. Um, we had um, a topic the first after the speeches. The first topic was about um, Indigenous um, conservation, and that was led by Tina Skeg, Steg of uh, the Marshall Islands. So that was really great just to hear what they had to say and also what people are doing in different parts of the region as well. And then um, we had um, talks about also about just um, the indigenous stuff as well. There's also going to be a conversation more about the indigenous side of climate change, you know, what people are doing on the ground. Um, tomorrow, there's also the um, where the conference is being held. It's actually all the gymnasium. So they've closed off all this area. They've kind of created almost like a village-like atmosphere where people with the delegates can break out. These like beautiful fellas. Um, there's also food on sale as well and handicrafts too. So that's something that they're working towards. There's obviously other side things, different plenaries. All the topics are really relevant. And the, this conference, the, the, the big thing about this is um, countries, civil society, industry can make commitments. And that is, that is, that is what is, is hoped for, isn't it, to come out of this? Yes, and uh, actually, the, after the first plenary, um, they after the first plenary, they actually did have a commitment made by several governments um, who are kind of on the sidelines. So whenever um, a session finishes, and then the governments come forward and they make um, you know a pledge about or commitment to what they want to put towards either um, funding research, adaptation. I mean. New Zealand has been represented by Alvitzel William Seal, and New Zealand is now committing three million US dollars towards climate change assessment. Now that money will go towards the University of the South Pacific and the University of Canterbury. I had a quick chat to him after his announcement, and he said, "Look, people are thinking about things like these a gap in data about some of the crucial information." So that was what they wanted to contribute, and every um, either different organ organizations or governments who are partnering up with other parts of the Pacific, they've um, made some really huge contributions. That was RNZ Pacific's manager, Moira Tuilapatela, who's covering the conference in Palau. Her trip was made possible by the U.S. State Department. Professional female rugby players of Pacific and Maori descent in Aotearoa, New Zealand, are being treated as an afterthought that's the view of rugby advocates coming to the defence of Black Ferns players following a scathing report into issues surrounding their treatment. The report reached some damning conclusions about New Zealand rugby and made 26 recommendations for improvements. Susana Suisuiki has more. The New Zealand rugby report found Māori and Pacific Island players within the Black Ferns have been poorly served. 
a failure of New Zealand rugby and its team management at the hands of head coach Glenn Moore. The review highlights a problematic culture set by Moore, who showed favouritism to some players while excluding others. Rugby advocate Alice Soper says its crucial Pākehā coaches understand cultural competency and can relate to their players. Any excuse around ignorance at this point is is just arrogance. We live in a time where there is multiple things that you can access to upskill yourself. And if you are a Pākehā coach and you are going into a team that is predominantly Māori and Pacifica, then you need to be upskilling yourself. That should be a basic part of your role. 50% of the players identify as Māori and 25% as Pacific. The review was a result of a black friend's hooker, Te Kurangata Airinga Mate, sharing a social media post saying Coach Moore told her she did not deserve to be on the team and was picked only to play the guitar. Chantal Baker-Smith, who has developed pilot programs for women's rugby within NZR, says she is proud of Te Kura for stepping forward. I'm just extremely proud of Tikura for being brave and making the post that she did. I know she never would have thought that it has created the traction or the waves that it has. It's been really hard for her over the last few months in particular, um, but she's shone a light on areas that need to progress. Sadly, she says the issues are not new. Planning for women's rugby, it was always an afterthought and you really had to push your case to have it thought about and then there was always this um, feeling that because I'm questioning things, people think I'm, I'm an agitator and I'm being a pain but there's a, a population out there that's not being serviced or again thought about. Regina Sheik, a former prop for the Black Ferns, says the review seems to be a communication issue rather than a management issue. She says a lot of the ownership of not being selected comes down to the players themselves. But if you haven't put in the effort, then, you know, don't be surprised if you don't get the call-up. Players players need to take, you know, they, they sort of, and like that, that's just life in general. You know, you've got to take a look at yourself. Don't throw stones if you live in a glass house. Alice Sopas says it's disappointing to see the lack of a genuine apology and calls for coach Glenn Moore to be removed immediately. However, it's understood he will remain as head coach until at least the Women's World Cup in October. I think there's a short, medium and long term to this. Uh, The short term is to remove the person that has caused harm. The intermediate is to upskill people in there. And if you cannot do that in time for World Cup, you also need to put someone in place to act as a guide to the Pākehā that are steering this space. And then the long term, we need to be reviewing the uh, assessment by which we uh, judge coaches' competency for their role that takes into consideration and values tikanga, values, cultures, values, women, because that is who our Black Ferns are. Both the New Zealand Rugby Union and the Auckland Rugby Board have declined to comment on the story. Newer Tourism's newly appointed destination manager for Australia and New Zealand says preparations are underway for the reopening of the island to tourists. Gay Wood was appointed this year ahead of the government announcing its proposal for the reopening. She spoke with RNZ Pacific reporter Lydia Lewis about the next steps. It's very significant. It's heading in the right direction to be able to welcome New Zealand travellers and other international travellers 
uh, back to Niue in due course. We're certainly aiming for the second or third uh, quarter of 2022 and uh, we can't wait to actually have tourism back on board when the time is right for both the community in Niue as well as for visitors to have the best experience in, in the beautiful island nation that Niue is. But New Zealanders, don't book your tickets just yet. Why is that? That's simply because the government is transitioning at the moment from a longer quarantine program into more of the semi-quarantine and home isolation. And by middle of May, it will have gone to total home isolation with certain restrictive movements. And then from July, it goes to quarantine-free travel for the local Nuaeans. And we're gradually in that second half of 2022, working toward uh, having all the conditions right uh, to be able to welcome the tourism uh, and especially New Zealanders, back onto our beautiful island. And I understand that this will be a phased approach. Can you please explain what those changes will be? That's right. Well, from the 18th of April, uh, it will actually transition to a seven-day uh, managed isolation with three days at home, so home isolation. And that's a change from the 10 to 14 days that has been existing to date. Um, gradually for those, just a couple of weeks after that, on the 2nd of May onward, then it is seven days of home isolation and then what they call three days of restrictive movement. Some good news at the border. No new active cases and all cases have recovered in MIQ. Was it nerve-wracking when the first cases did report positive results? I think it was a great practice, wasn't it? Um, right back at the, I think, the first case that uh, Nui experienced uh, right from the start of the pandemic was on the 11th of March this year. So amongst the, the world's um, destinations, uh, we were, Nui was very rare and, and uh, very proud of their uh, result up to that point. There had been a, just a handful of cases thereafter, but at no stage has that ever escaped into the community. And I think they're proud of all of the processes that they put into place that kept um, at, at the border, as uh, was a term that we were very familiar with in New Zealand, but it never, ever got into the community. And we certainly uh, are working toward ensuring that that doesn't happen from here on as well. Absolutely. One of the only um, you know, countries in the world to be able to say that they have not had community transmission across the two years that the pandemic has had a grip on the world. What uh, impact have these closed borders had on tourism operators in this time? I think it's given them a great chance to pivot a little bit like New Zealand and many other countries as well. They've looked at how they can go about um, offering slightly different offers. Um, they certainly have still got their community travelling around the island. They uh, are very active up on island at the moment. There's been a lot of painting and uh, track clearing and uh, beach conservation work, etc. done, and they've utilised that time well. And, and for those that are not too familiar, it's actually uh, positioned around about 2,400 kilometres northeast of New Zealand. It's around about a three and a half hour flight, and it's in what we call the triangle between Tonga, Samoa, and the Cook Islands. So nicely positioned up in the Pacific. What we'll be turning on is the best possible weather, and they do have an average temperature of 25 degrees. But Nui is known as uh, the Rock of the Pacific. Um, it is a raised coral atoll. It's known more so for its nature walks, its beautiful coves and chasms and caves than it is for, say, the wide uh, stretches of Sandy Beach. So I think if you like the, the outdoor activities and you like uh, the walking and biking and driving around a beautiful island, then that's uh, way could be for you. They also have some of the clearest water in uh, the Pacific. 
and in fact in the world, and I know talking to many of the marine experts here in New Zealand, they've said that there's uh, fishing uh, nowhere in the world like there is in Nui. And it's simply because uh, it's very deep very quickly. Uh, you go very deep very quickly and therefore out on the fishing boats, um, you're likelihood of catching uh, some good fish within only 100 metres or so of the shoreline is uh, a lot more prevalent than what it would be in, in most destinations that uh, people go to enjoy the fishing life. Sounds beautiful. You've definitely convinced me. Um, but we cannot ignore the elephant in the room, which is the impacts of COVID if it does indeed get out into the community. The Premier has indicated that it is time to take steps forward in this pandemic and to start looking at opening up, which is why you know they have announced this proposed plan for opening the border. But does the economic impacts of keeping the border shut outweigh the cost to health that COVID could have? It's the question that I guess every country asks, isn't it? The wonderful backstop that we have is that 99.4% of every over 12-year-old in Nui is vaccinated. Um, their paediatrics uh, vaccination program, even for their 5 to 12-year-olds, will be completed soon. And they even have a brand new isolation wing that has been completed at the Nui Fu hospitals. And that is all from me. Was there anything else that you would like to add? Well, Nui uh, can't wait to welcome back New Zealand travellers. And I think we'll do it both for those that love the fishing, the outdoors, the nature, uh, diving, um, scubaing and exploring the many caves, chasms and coves that, uh, that Nui is very famous for. And we hope that that will be just around the corner for the second half of this year. That's Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. I did it